podcasting from the Star Group, home of the iconic Dressable Lions. This is Beyond the Known, the podcast that takes you a step beyond what you know about business. I'm your host, Paul M. Newberger, president of the Star Group. On today's episode of Beyond the Known, our guests are Brian Magliocco, Director of Culture, as well as John Schlosser, Director of Sales and Marketing at Captivate Exhibits. Hello, boys. Glad to have you in the studio. Hey, Paul. Thanks Paul, for having us. Good to see you again. Thanks. All right. Well, let's get down to work here. So I've known you guys for a while here and formerly exhibit systems now captivate exhibits. I am captivated in terms <laughs> of why you made the name change. Could you tell us a little bit about that, please? Brian, sure. Ahead. So, you know, when you're in the trade show industry, it's really all about being very design oriented and being very custom in nature. And I think having the ability for us to show ourselves as more of a custom design-oriented exhibit house is really huge. Our name Exhibit Systems kind of makes us feel like we're kind of a kit-based system where you can come in here, you can buy one of 10 options for your trade show exhibit and go to the show. Well, we're different than that because we really want to take um, the client's opinions, the thoughts. We go into a put-to-design meeting and we want to hear everything that they want to accomplish in their trade show campaign. And then we want to bring that to life. And so Captivate allows us to do that because really it's not about us being captivating. It's about helping our client be captivating at the trade show, helping them look better. Because if they have a good ROI at the show, that's the main goal. And that's what we want to do is help be a partner in a successful trade show campaign for them. So talk to me a little bit about the trade show line of work. Obviously, the last couple of months have been very disruptive, to say the least. We don't have a lot of people. What do you mean? Well, great. In case you've been under a rock, perhaps, obviously very disruptive. And I have to imagine that the trade show world has really taken it on the chin. Can you talk to us at least in terms of how this has impacted your business, but more so, what have you guys done to strategically pivot to kind of hang in there during a period of disruption like this? Well, it's to say it's decimated our business would probably be not an understatement. It really has. You know, at the past 26 years, as Brian said, all we've really done is, is build wonderful exhibits for clients. And so when trade shows pause, it pauses us. And so it pauses our employees, it pauses our ownership group and leaders like ourselves. So has it, the fun part about what has occurred being somewhat decimated in the industry has really rallied, uh, I believe, our leadership team and the employees that are still around. And, and it's made us focus on, you know, what really we're good at. And that's uh, relationships with our clients, our employees, our core values. And so you got to go back to what our roots are. And that's, can we pivot through all of this? We're proving that we can. And I think we're all kind of sports-minded guys on the leadership team and the gals, and I think we have a competitive nature to us. So it's given us something to really focus on and to be competitive in the marketplace. And we'll go into a little bit about that when we talk about the name change and our other pivoted brands. But how we've had to pivot, Paul, the second part of the question, we had to reinvent ourselves and had to really refocus on. So we're not developing a, an exhibit for somebody. We're not certainly in that aspect of our business. But what we are is, is creating opportunities for them in different areas. Maybe they got to build something during this time. Maybe we're going to create a, an interior project, help them with their lobby, talk to them about their, their history projects. And Brian's involved in a big project right now with a couple clients 
on exteriors and environments. So that's really not a pivot for us, but pivoting our mindset, I think has been the biggest thing. I think so many times people have used, and I've read article after article about, geez, we've pivoted, but what have you really done to pivot? And so we've had to pivot more so our mindset and try to help our clients understand this isn't forever. So they pivot, we pivot with them, and we help them with other pieces of their business. So describe to me then, so obviously with the second quarter GDP contracting nearly 33%, it's really hard to find any business or any organization that hasn't been impacted by this in some way. What advice would you give to a business owner, a CEO, somebody that's in a leadership position like you two guys that are thinking, I don't think we can make it. I don't think we're going to see this thing through. Obviously, you guys have had some down days, but you're reinventing yourself. You use the word pivot and and you're turning a corner, which is outstanding. I would expect nothing less from leaders like you guys. Mm -hmm. If somebody else is listening to this and they're hopeless, I don't think we're going to pull through this. What advice would you give to them right now? Well, I guess the first thing I'd say is, you know, when this all started back in March, which feels like forever ago at this point, it's all about being quick to make important decisions. And I think that's one thing that our leadership team did. They were not easy decisions by any means, having to lay off people, having to pivot our business, having to work from home for two months during the lockdown, that type of thing. But I think it it really has to be a speed to making those decisions because had we sat on it and just kind of, eh, we'll see what happens and we'll ride this out. You know, we may not even be here at this point, you know, nine months later. So For us, I think it was making quick decisions. It was making smart decisions, decisions that were for the immediate, but also thinking towards the future. And I think that's a big piece for anyone in leadership, because if you don't do that right off the bat, you're already setting yourself behind. Yeah, I think the one thing, and Brian said it really well, is we were focused on what was going to be when we came out the other end. You know, certainly our businesses are, have changed, but what does that mean for you and your employees long-term? So the advice would be think of the house, think of the brick, the mortar, or whatever business you have. Think about it at the other end and who are you going to bring back? Who are you going to change their lives? And we have changed people's lives by having to do what we have. Many businesses have had many, many, many. But we're thinking about right away, we thought about what is that going to look like whenever these shows that we attend and we assist with come back? Where's the company going to be? Where's the roof going to be? Where's the balance sheet going to be? And I think we've made that decision from day one. And that that was really difficult on all of us. And to sit across from somebody with a, a new family and a mortgage and a rent and a car payment and everything else and, and letting them know that, you know, we're really thinking about the future and we are thinking about the and you may not think that way, but our advice would be think of them as well and think of your own business long term. So there is a house to come back to when this is all said and done. Yeah, well said. Some some good advice for sure. And one of the things that I'm not surprised of or not surprised about knowing you guys the way that I do and, and following your organization for the past couple of years is that you've been able to, to come through this as well as you have because you've got an outstanding culture. And looking at you, Brian, as the director of culture, I know you play a large part in that. Talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, I could do that for you, but I'd rather hear you say it. What is it that makes the Captivate Exhibits culture so top-notch, and what have you done to create an amazing culture like that? Yeah, good question. And maybe just to answer that first, I'd step back and say, when I, I was actually in ministry for 10 years prior to coming into the exhibit industry, and one reason that I left the ministry and was interested and willing to go into kind of the secular business world like this is because I saw 
exhibit systems at the time and now Captivate as a place where I could still be myself. I could still have integrity as my number one thing. I didn't have to sacrifice my values. didn't have to sacrifice who I was and what I believed just to go to work, like unfortunately so many people have to do. And for us, so to answer your question, then for us, culture is the most important thing. Have we always been 100% great at it? No, of course not. We're learning. We've learned and grown over the years. I think we've gotten a lot better at it. But probably the biggest thing that we were able to put together a little bit over a year and a half ago now was our mission statement. Because we always had like a mission statement that was really about what we did, you know, and it wasn't about why we existed, you know, what gets us up in the morning. And so our our leadership team sat down and we just did a day-long brainstorming on specifically culture. And we put together a culture, what we call a VTO, a vision traction organizer, comes from the EOS method. But we actually put kind of a strategic plan, if you will, together for our culture. And the first thing we had to do before we could do that was write a mission statement. And our mission statement is empowering people to become the best version of themselves by living our core values for the glory of God. And so once we were able to name the why we existed, which people are like, well, what does that have to do with building a trade show exhibit or whatever? And it has everything to do with it because if we are empowering our employees to be the best version of themselves, we are going to empower our clients to be the best version of themselves. And ultimately they're going to look the best and represent themselves the best at the trade show, right? So for us, it's all about people. It's all about values and it's all about making sure that we are helping our people grow. And that's why what John said earlier about making difficult decisions during a difficult time is hard to do because we know that it's people's livelihoods on the line. And for us, that's our number one piece we have are the people. Well, and I think you've done an extraordinary job and, you know, you're putting that emphasis on people. I mean, you're going to get out of this what you put into this. And when you talk about people, one of the things that, that I find interesting about what you do, I mean, somebody could say, wow, you, you help people look good in a trade show. Big deal. Well, it's actually a lot bigger than that. You guys are touching lives. You guys are putting the, sure. the best light possible on these organizations. And when these organizations look good, they make money. And when they make money, that allows them to provide for their employees, et cetera. Could you talk to us about one of the more memorable success stories that you've had. Maybe somebody that came to you, they didn't really have an idea, didn't really know what they were going to do. And after bringing in your organization, you were able to really shine a favorable light on them that ended well in some way. What was one of the most memorable success stories you've had in this line of work? Go ahead. I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for that question. Well, I think, I mean, there's been a lot of great examples of quality trade show we built, but I think one of the greatest things that we can provide our clients is that ongoing relationship. And so we have a program, an asset management program, if you will, that allows clients to store all of their exhibit properties with us and then be able to check them in and out, almost like an Amazon cart system, if you will. So they kind of know in real time, what do they have in the inventory? And a number of years ago, we brought in one of our bigger clients. It's probably one of our top five clients. Mm -hmm. And they were struggling mightily with this because they had 200, 300 shows a year that they were going to. And we're not talking about two or 300 shows at like in a 50 by 50 exhibit, but they were basically, what are they, a financial advisor firm, an accounting firm. They did that kind of thing. And so they were going to a lot of shows with a lot of sales reps and a lot of agents and that type of thing. And so this one woman was tracking every single one of those spreadsheets on an Excel spreadsheet. And every day things would be going in and out and it would be going all over the country. And she was just, you know, lighting it on fire, trying to figure out what 
was where, when it was coming back, when it wasn't. She was, you know, things were getting lost because the agents weren't returning them after the show, believe it or not, you know, sat in their trunk, whatever. And so by us being able to bring them on, we made their world so much easier because it tracks it in real time where things are. It sends reminder emails. And for her, I know that that was a huge turning point because basically most of her day was spent focused on trying to balance where all these exhibit items were, where they were going next. And this freed her up to be able to do actual marketing work, which is what her role was supposed to entail. So for me, that that probably pops out as a number one. For us, it's not really selling an exhibit. It's that ongoing relationship we have with our clients. It goes back to the people again. We're looking to help people become the best version of themselves. And in that situation, that was able to help her in her role, but also her company, be more organized, be more on top of it, and become the best version of themselves. Yeah, I think that not only I think that we kind of changed her life and her job at the organization, the way they looked at going to a trade show and the way they looked at their people, because, you know, we had guys that took an invested interest in them first. And what, how was it going to be that we were going to change her process by doing business? And we came up with this system that we had owned, but we kind of a light bulb went on and said, how can we further advance this? And so it's been a great case study for Brian and and much of the team that has worked so hard to assist them. And now they're rebranding again, and they're, they're going to start doing some bigger trade shows. And so now we're part of that partner. That's going to allow them to become bigger at what they do and better at what they do. And so it probably is one of our greatest success stories of leaving ourselves behind and really trying to focus on how she was going to do her job better. So, yeah, great example. Now, I understand this is why people pay you, so I don't want you maybe to give away all of your advice for free here. I understand that. But a lot of our audience is business owners, entrepreneurs, professional people. You talk about trying to be the best possible version of yourself. That's what our audience tries to do as well. And I have to imagine, especially once COVID passes to some degree and we get back to doing these trade shows. I know we at the Star Group, we're represented at a lot of these functions as well. And we're always trying new things. What are some of the most common mistakes that organizations make when it comes to exhibits? So something that you see a lot of organizations do and you just think, ah, don't do that. Yeah, I mean, to me, I'll start and Brian's got millions of opportunities on the front line selling, not only selling displays, but I think they under budget, undervalue their organization. They undervalue what they're doing in the marketplace. I think they see it as a sales vehicle, but not in the vehicle that they really should. And then that's what frustrates, I guess, as much as anything else. A budget is a budget. But I think they, when they undervalue the product or service they offer and what it means when they go to that trade show, that's a big deal. And so many times we see, and it's every single day, really, an undervalued budget. They believe they, are, they may want to put a backdrop up when they're selling millions of dollars worth of products that, and services to people that may change other people's lives as well. So if they had the right budget, they would be seen in a different light. And it, it, it's, you know, first impressions, a couple seconds, you're going to walk by that trade show display and you're going to walk and see the competitor because the competitors are all right around you. And so when you'd up your budget and in upping your budget, just not paying us to do something that we shouldn't be doing. It's really envisioning yourself is something bigger than you are. And, and they undervalue their budget. I would say that's the number one thing they do. They probably don't undervalue their product. And maybe Brian feels, you know, the same way about so many of these aspects, but it's really just undervaluing their ability to go to that show and how they're going to look when somebody walks by 
and their competitors right down the aisle looking differently. So, yeah, and I think kind of going off of that, I think they also potentially aren't going to maybe the right shows. I think some people have a, a difficult time determining, you know, which show is going to be the most fruitful for us, which one's going to have the most ROI, how are we going to get the most bang for our buck? And then we hear so often like, well, we didn't get enough leads, so trade shows don't work. And I think it has less to do with the trade show doesn't work, but either A, you aren't at the right trade show, which I think does happen. I know a number of our clients have had to reevaluate, and, and some have said, we're not going to go to as many shows, but we found that these three or four shows, this is it for us. We don't need to go to 20 shows. We just need to find the right niche. But then secondly, when you get there, you got to make sure you have the right booth staff. And John and I were just talking about this at the, you know, the Nary remodeling show just happened, which is great to see an actual trade show happening, but just walking through the halls and watching, and it's not just at this show, it's at all shows, the amount of people that are not actually paying attention to the people walking in the trade show is, you know, overwhelming. You can stand in front of somebody's booth and I can think of, you know, numbers of times this happened and you're just staring at them and they're not even aware that you're there. And to me, it's like you spend all this money to go to a show and if you're not paying attention, if you don't have the right people work in the booth or if the people that are working the booth are not engaged, it's no wonder the trade show didn't work, right? Because you really weren't engaging with the people that are there. So I think it's not only going, having the right budget, going to the right show, but when you're there, you're there to sell. You're not there to, you know, necessarily just hang out with your coworkers or see other people. And so those are some of the things that we try to really encourage people. It's like, if you're going to go, make sure you're putting your best foot forward. So go with that a little bit. Describe the type of person that should be working a booth. Who You're the owner of a company. You got 75 employees. We're going to go there. We got to put our best foot forward. Describe the type of person that should be at that trade show, that should be behind that table, that should be engaging the people that are passing them by. You know, I always, salespeople, salespeople, and it can be owners. It can be anyone in the organization that wants to assist and walk across the aisle and extend their hand, or in today's world, I guess, do a elbow bump or whatever it might be, <laughs> or something, or just look at each other, but be out in front. And again, somebody's walking by, they're there for a reason. And if you're there working your show, be proud of the product that's behind you. Again, that goes to my unwavering thought that value who you are and what you do as an organization bring the people that are going to reach across the aisle and say, hey, come on, let me just take five minutes and have a conversation with you. Not sell you something, but have a conversation with you. But where does that lead? That can lead in 10 directions. But if you're sitting there looking at your phone, undervaluing who you are and what you sell, then don't go. Be better spent on, you know, taking ads out in the marketplace or doing radio, TV or something and not spending that money in a trade show. Be prepared to go and have some fun. Number one, you got to have some fun and never had, you got to have a little guts to you as well, but to reach across the aisle and go be, you know, really proud of what you're selling. Yeah. And I think it, the sales team for sure makes the most sense. Yeah. It's good when you're having like a piece of machinery or manufacturing show to have some technical people there too, but I wouldn't have those be the first line of defense because, you know, just, they may not be as outgoing as a salesperson or as someone on the leadership team might be where they're going to be out there on the aisle. And I think the best people that John and I have seen as we walk shows, cause we, back when you could walk shows, we would walk them all the time down in Chicago. And you know, the people that you would engage with are the ones that are standing out on the aisle, you know, not in the aisle cause you can't sell in the aisle, but you know, standing out there saying hello, being a friendly face, as opposed to the person that's, you know, kind of hanging out back waiting for a lead because the leads aren't 
they are going to fall on your lap because people are walking by, but you got to do something to get them to come into your booth. And then once you have them in there, then you have to have those technical people there, engineers or whomever, so that they can talk about what their machine or their piece of equipment does. But you got to have someone first and foremost to engage them in the conversation. Because as John said, it's we typically tell people you have three seconds to get someone's attention. And if they're walking down the aisle, that might be two booths down from where you are. So as they're coming by, you know, 30 miles an hour trying to get past you before you reel them in, you got to be quick on your feet and to try to engage them in that moment. But what kind of trade shows do you go to when they're booking it at 30 miles an hour? <laughs> Man, gosh, is this like the X-Men convention? <laughs> Most of the ones we go to. You know, we only have... Wow, the fastest human beings on earth convention. Yeah. Exciting. We, we you know how fast. it is. If someone makes eye contact with you, you don't want to. Suddenly you look down and you ran, run right past, right? So yeah, pretty much. It happens a lot in trade show halls. They're yeah. on to me. Book it. For That's sure. right. Well, <laughs> get running. Go faster. Oh, I never thought trade shows would be this funny, but they kind of are. Yeah. Well, how about this? So this might be asking you to like pick between your children, but what was the coolest exhibit you've ever done and why was it so awesome? Really hard to do. Yeah, because, I mean, we're really – the gamut of the amounts of, of clients we work with are all over the place. So, you know, it could be – you know, we do we work a lot in manufacturing and a lot in food and beverage, you know. And so those styles of booths are way different for someone that's trying to sell a piece of machinery versus someone that's trying to sell a food item or a piece of cheese or whatever it might be. I don't know if I have a really a favorite. Do you, John? And Probably, you know, as we pick from maybe not something, you know, Brian and I are involved in all the projects, but – probably our fishing clients. We developed a huge water tank and outfitted it with everything you can imagine and dumped huge fish in there. And then we had a, a skin diver jump in and go through and look at the lures as the lures were coming through the water. And we set that all up. And it was really cool for the consumers to to see the lure coming down. It was the lures we were helping our clients sell and it was real life stuff. And so pretty cool. Probably 60, 70 foot fish tank outfitted with anything you can imagine. And while it sounds boring or whatever, the consumers, it was like eye popping to see these lures hitting the water, coming down. And then, you know, the fish weren't eating them, but what was the difference between this one and that one? And to be a part of building that was pretty cool. And then the booth was about you know, 200 feet of all different reels, rods, racks, uh, you name it. So it was pretty cool. And we do that pretty much every year. Man, for a guy that just usually does poster board and cardboard dioramas, that sounds pretty outstanding. <laughs> that has really taken it up another notch. That would have been a sight to behold. Yep. Well, one of the things that I like about Captivate exhibits outside of you two knuckleheads is we've talked about pivoting and yep. really just kind of sensing opportunity where some people miss it. Well, one of the opportunities that you two have really glommed onto is this thing called enclaves. What's that all about and why are you so excited about this? Yeah, so you mentioned the pivoting. So when we were, we brought everybody back when we had the PPP loan back in whenever that was, June or July, and we did a brainstorming session with our entire company when everyone was back employed for that six-week period of time. And we had a number of great ideas, but the one that stuck the most was these Enclave outdoor structures, which we recently launched. I mean, technically we launched it in like July, but recently we more we launched it pretty much in September. And mm -hmm. it's a brand new innovative technology, basically using the way we build a trade show exhibit in four by eight modular panels that go together with basically a cam lock that use an Allen wrench to lock them in place but we're weatherizing them and weatherproofing them so that they can be 
an exterior grade surface and it can be used in your backyard. And so basically right now, one of the most Googled terms in the country is she shed. You know, we've heard that from the commercials that are out there, but actually people are actually Googling this more often than many other things right now because they're spending a ton of money on their backyards because many people aren't going anywhere. They have, they're not going on their vacations that they're used to spending. So they're spending it in their backyard, whether it be landscaping, whether it be a pool, or in some cases, it's additional living space. And that's what these enclaves are. It's extra living space. So we're not building sheds. We're not building, you know, someone that wants to go get a tough shed from Home Depot or something for their tools. We're really building somebody some additional living space, you know, in the 100 to 200 square foot range. Maybe it's a work at home studio. It could be a she shed, you know, which is a big thing. It could be the man cave. It could be a pool house. If you have a nice pool you're putting in and you want to be able to have a way to get changed in there, have a little party outside, a boathouse, pretty much anything that you'd want. Mother-in-law suite, maybe for you, Paul. You Sign know. me up for two. <laughs> <laughs> so that's basically what it is, you know, so they're, we're going to build them all custom in our shop and then we're going to go on site and assemble them. And the assembly takes under one day. And that's where the difference is between what we're doing in a stick build structure is we're actually modular building these in-house and then assembling them on site. Yep. And yeah, that's been a labor of love. I mean, to see something like this evolve and we're just evolving. I mean, we've only built several of them right now, but I had a big meeting this morning about national advertising and moving into different marketplaces and already can see ourselves, you know, creating these new living spaces outside that's not going away. I mean, it's, these businesses have been around for 20 plus years, started with tiny homes on the West coast where they ran out of yard space in California and couldn't get a, a permit to do additional builds on their homes and they didn't have the land to do it. And so what did they build? These tiny little structures. First they built tree houses, then they built little tiny houses. They, they could get a permit or maybe didn't get a permit probably is more so what happened. And it's just evolved over time. And we're the first Midwestern built company that's going to market this right here in the Midwest and, and kind of move down through the if our goal is, is point on and we can help more people move into the South, Southeast, things like that. So pretty neat. Very exciting stuff. Yeah. Needless to say. And yeah. How yeah. quickly can you build that one for my mother-in-law? We can have it to you in about three to four weeks. Okay. Is that okay? A little sooner, but that's okay. <laughs> I love my mother-in-law. She knows of I'm course kidding. You do. I love you, Carol. Yeah. But one of the things that <laughs> I enjoy is listening to you talk about your mission statement because faith is a major component of your organization. Yep. And one of the things that I admire you guys for that as a believer myself is that you are unapologetically Christian. Yep. How easy or difficult of a decision was that in this somewhat secular business world we live in today? Were you afraid you were going to turn people off? Has that worked out well for you? What kind of went into that decision-making process for your company? This is the probably this is the easiest question that you've given us because we're faith guys. And so we don't just automatically hire people and say the reason we're hiring them is they're faith-based unwavering Christians. It's because of the way they act and the way they performed in their life in different areas. But being outwardly Christian in what we do is really important to us. Don't use the word proud of it, but we are. This is how we live. And it's really resonated with not only in the entire leadership, but as we build our culture, which Brian heads up each and every day, but it's easy for him because he's lived his life that way. And so we're all men and women that live that way, that want to build a culture that way. And it takes time. But the faith part's easy. 
And it, that's why I said it's the easiest question because you just open the door every single day. You get to live your life as a Christian, everything we do, and it, it becomes a way of life around the building and hopefully rubs off. We don't push people into what we do. We're people that we hopefully have followers of. Yeah, exactly. So I would say it certainly is not an easy, it certainly was an easy thing to do, but it's not necessarily an easy thing to always keep up with. Because to John's point, you know, we're all humans, we make mistakes, and not everyone is Christian. And certainly you don't have to be a Christian to work at our company, and you don't have to be a Christian company to work with us, obviously. But we're also not going to shy away from that because the Lord has blessed us with many blessings and many gifts, and he's blessing us even now during this difficult time of trying to get through it. And so we're going to return that honor to him. And that's why in our mission statement, we added that ending part for the glory of God, because we can have core values and that's great. But if what is the reason for the core values? It's so that we can honor God and we can honor each other in return. Mm -hmm. So it is very important to us and it's, it's the most important thing to us. And it's certainly the way as we hire new people, we try to hire people with similar values, you know, and similar you know, feelings on how they want to treat other people. Because for us, again, it's that ongoing relationship that we want to have with our clients. We're not a one-off sale company. We're looking for long-term partnerships. And in order to do that, you have to be able to treat other people with that same dignity and respect we want to be treated. Amen. So if this was Pee Wee's Playhouse, I think the operative word today would be pivot. We say pivot and we all just start screaming because (laughs) there's just a lot of stuff going on with pivot. And the more I think about your organization, the more impressed I am because faced with this dilemma and these challenges that you have, you guys really dug deep and reinvented yourself. And it's turning out that some of this stuff is borderline permanent, just like you talked about with the enclaves. But you guys have also gotten into the PPE market a little bit. I barely know how to spell PPE, so maybe our audience would (laughs) like a little more information on that. But tell us a little bit about what you've done in that regard and how that's helped sustain you during this period of disruption. Yeah, so even before we did the enclaves, we're like, okay, what can we dive into right off the bat? You know, and at first we tried to get into the temporary testing studios, like where you would drive up and, you know, people could do their COVID test right in their car or whatever, but that wasn't really taking because they were using tents and things like that. So then as libraries and county offices and especially schools started to reopen and now businesses, as more businesses return, like it's the acrylic hygiene barriers, the sneeze shields, as you would call them, you know, and we've seen them everywhere, right? I mean, you go to the grocery store, you go to restaurants, you go to work, you go everywhere, there's acrylic, you know, we're like hiding ourselves behind a bunch of plexiglass barriers. We never thought we'd be in selling pieces of acrylic, but here we are. And we've done well to be able to help people you know, reopen safely, especially the schools. You know, that's a key thing, you know, in the cafeterias and the classrooms, But really anywhere where there's going to be groups of people, we want to keep those people safe, you know. And so we're taking the technology that we've done with our trade show exhibits, basically using the aluminum extrusion that we build the trade shows. And instead, we're helping build plexiglass shields and walls, some of them permanent barriers for cubicles and meeting rooms. And some of them are temporary, you know, until this stuff ends here, hopefully sooner than later. So that has definitely been an area we've pivoted in and done fairly well. In, and certainly we'd be happy to help any company that wanted to talk to us about custom size shields or portable ones. Well, speaking of pivot, because we haven't said that word enough in this podcast, it's time for me to pivot 
to the end of the show. And I got to tell you, what a blessing it's been to talk with you, Brian Magliocco, the Director of Culture, and even you, yes, you, John Schlosser, <laughs> the Director of Sales and Marketing for Captivate Exhibits. Thank you for coming into our studio. And in all seriousness, thank you for the good work that you're doing for touching lives, for helping some of these organizations get through what is undoubtedly a tough time and for all the good work that you do, including the Lord's work. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks, Uh, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate having us. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Known with Paul M. Newberger. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out at stargroup.com. That's S-T-A-R-R-Group.com slash podcast. We're also available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.